Hey everyone, I'm going to start today's episode with a quick story. In the mid-2000s, or actually around 2010, I used to work as a high school and middle school teacher. And when we would have parent orientation, we would show this video clip called Shift Happens. <laughs> I just love that. First of all, it's a nice play on words. Shift Happens. And in the video, the premise was that we are preparing students for careers and jobs that don't even exist yet. And fast forward to 2024, there are so many careers and jobs that are new these days that didn't exist. And my guest is a perfect example of that. My guest today is Saitandra Hoover. And she is a social impact consultant and also works with microinsurance, which again, if you're confused, you're not alone. This was this is a relatively new career that has come up within the last, I would say, 10, 20 years. She's going to explain what it means to us and how she's helping populations that need the most help. So stay tuned. It's going to be a good episode. Mm. Did she really do that? You betcha she did. Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Betcha She Did, the podcast where women changemakers, entrepreneurs, and leaders, especially from the Midwest, share their wit and wisdom. I'm your host, Raina Rakiki. I am excited today because I have someone in the studio who brings a whole new perspective to the idea of social impact and insurance, and I was confused about it, but she has a lot to share and a lot of things that it I think are really hopeful for the world. So let me introduce Saitandra Hoover. She is a social impact consultant. Uh, Saitandra, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Raina. It's so great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So I, I came across you on LinkedIn and I was fascinated right away with what you did because I know you talked about microinsurance and social impact. So for our audience, kind of give us the Cliff Notes version, like what is it that you do that for everyday people? Absolutely. So I think what's really fascinating, right, um, is this premise that insurance in its essence, right, is designed to help people, right? People get insurance because you are looking for a product, you're looking for kind of that safety net to protect you in your time of greatest need. And so the idea of microinsurance or inclusive insurance really is taking that concept and bringing it to people who really, truly are oftentimes not able to access it or in products that really are not sold. So for example, it's focusing on climate solutions or disaster response, um, or even helping populations who due to income reasons really cannot afford the types of policies that are being offered by large insurance carriers. And so it really is that intersection of, of doing good and social impact with the premise of how do you provide and protect um, those services and those needs and concerns when they occur. Yeah. So with, you know, microinsurance, when you're looking for people who need to be covered, does it usually happen like after the disaster, the event happen? Or are you actively searching? Yeah. Like beforehand being like, oh, these are people who really need access and don't have it right yep. now. So just like typical insurance, it's always beforehand. And so 
Um, it's really fascinating, I find, in terms of the way that it works. And I spend a significant amount of my career and my life working in international development. So basically, that was working in disa global disaster response and conflict management. So I worked with the UN, the Institute for my International Organization for Migration. Um, I worked with the U.S. State Department and USAID um, and the Red Cross. And so really, it's this idea of how you build partnerships and relationships with NGOs and other on the ground institutions who have that contact with the people who really need the services. So, you know, small rural farmers or small entrepreneurs, uh, right, and developing those relationships with those entities, those agencies that have the connection to the people that need it, and then working together to figure out what is the protection that they really need and what are the risks that they are most susceptible to. Um, and so the idea within parametric insurance, and I, I, I won't get too nerdy, I promise, um, really is this idea of thinking of climate change and natural disasters and how they're increasing in frequency and severity and figuring out and understanding who is most susceptible to those different types in what areas. So it could be earthquake or drought or excess rain or hurricane. Um, and so, you know, figuring out what are the populations that need that protection, you know, long before that it happens. And so, you know, most like most insurance products you use a lot of you do a lot of analysis, you know, to figure prior data and, and kind of figure out where is the trend. Um, and again, as I promised, I won't get too nerdy. And so we pull it all together and figure out, you know, what is needed, where and for whom. And then we work together to create those relationships and those partnerships. Um, and really, the premise, again, is is that the premium. So essentially, the amount that you are paying on either a monthly or an annual basis for for that policy, for that protection is very small. I mean, sometimes you're talking like $2 and 50 cents a month. So really, really small. So that the point is that it's accessible. Um, and, and then figuring out what is it that you're protecting. So sometimes it's just income replacement. Sometimes it's actually the replacement of, of, you know, goods and services that are, are damaged as a result of the event. But really the whole premise is figuring out how you make insurance accessible to people who can't afford it through traditional insurance means. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's definitely a, a need for that. I mean, you know, compared to other countries around the world, especially developing nations, we have so much money in America. And I, um, I used to live in Nigeria for six years. So I definitely saw that like in West Africa. So yeah, we need to make sure people are covered. And it's not just like the wealthy countries. So what kind of brought you to this place where you you have your own like consulting firm in this in this special niche? Right. Because I know you didn't start out that way. And I know you have a really interesting upbringing. Um, like, was there something that inspired you to go this way? Talk to us a little bit about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So I think that there's a combination of of planning and strategy and then a huge bunch of just luck of the draw. Um, and so, yeah, so I grew up um, my father is a tropical botanist. And so I grew up. Um, living like a little house on the prairie and a um, on a farm in Western Massachusetts and a house that was built in the 1830s with indoor heating by a wood stove. Um, and so kind of this very unusual childhood of kind of that day-to-day -day 
farm kind of life, but then my father who was traveling all over the world doing his botanical expeditions. And so ever since I was an infant from about four or five months old, I was traveling on the expeditions with him. And so travel got to go all around the world. And that really exposed me to exactly what you were saying, right? This like wealth that exists in the United States, you know, wealth of opportunity and education and jobs, but then going with him to places like Mexico and Indonesia and seeing people who are living, you know, in slums, you know, with corrugated metal and open sewers. And so it really kind of brought that world together for me of this focus on anthropology and people and culture and needs and, and how we can figure out how to solve those needs in different ways. And so um, that's really what I've dedicated my whole life to doing in many different ways. And so I I spent my whole life, you know, living and working all over the world. I think I've lived in like 20 some odd countries and I speak Spanish like a native. Um, and uh, and so it really, and as I mentioned before, right, I've worked for the United Nations, for the International Organization for Migration and lots of other agencies. But what I figured out in the midst of all of that was that there was this lack of real focus on looking at solutions from a business sustainability perspective. Um, and it's not a criticism at all of the work that they do. It, it was just kind of my own personal reaction to, to working in the space. And so after doing it for, for a decade, decade plus, I really started thinking like, how can we find other ways of doing this that almost are more like, you know, for-profit businesses? And so I left and I got my MBA in entrepreneurship. And then I worked in corporate America for about a decade. And it really was this total juxtaposition, like, you know, working, you know, in Yemen and living in Yemen and Libya and Colombia to then all of a sudden, like wearing a suit every day and going into the headquarters of Liberty Mutual in Boston, like total, yeah, totally different worlds. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was like an experiment in anthropology in and of itself. And so, um, but it was fascinating, right? And so I spent this decade in corporate America really just like learning business acumen, you know, what works, how it works, how you bring money in the door, how you run it as efficiently as possible to generate as much money as possible at the end of the day. Um, and so about a little over a year ago, uh, about a year and a quarter, I left that space and then I launched my own consulting firm. Really with that premise of like, how do I know bring it all together? And and I I knew for a long time, I've known for, you know, a decade and a half that this was kind of where I wanted to be, right? I wanted to bring together all that work that I had done internationally in social impact with the for-profit skills to figure out how do I, you know, deliver value at this intersection of impact, inclusion, and profit. And so that's kind of what I am doing now, right? I just kind of fell into insurance. That was the part that was definitely not planned. But it's really fascinating, right, to think about how we can use insurance products to really deliver what the intended good and, and you know, initial premise of it really is. And, you know, as we think of climate change and disaster response, like how on earth can insurance be a solution to that? Um and so that's what I'm doing now is I work with a variety of different clients to uh, not so much the product design piece of it, but really to help figure out like, how do we bring efficiency, you know, and process and organization to these entities 
so that they can deliver even greater good and deliver even greater impact with fewer resources and more efficiently. And um, and so it's just fascinating to to see how it can all come together and how we can do good in world in the world through ways that you know most people you know we never would have imagined yeah, before envisioned. Well, I like that story. I love how you were kind of intentional. You were like, okay, I've done all these things around the world. Now I'm going to dive into my corporate America study for 10 years, soak it all in, and then use that, like you said, for the, for the greater good. So um, I know there's a lot of confidentiality surrounding who you work with, and we will respect that. I'm just curious, like, when finding people, do you, like, do you go to NGOs and pitch it or do they come to you or like, how does, how does that work? Yes. I mean, it's a little bit of everything. Um, so, you know, I've reached out to entities, entities have reached out to me. Um, and then the work we do, you know, differs, right? So because of my, my long standing relationship in the, in this international space and working with the UN and all sorts of other agencies and entities, um, NGOs and for-profit entities on the ground. So that's a big part of it, right? Is just kind of helping to build and create those partnerships um, and understanding how uh, that's called international development. So understanding how international development works, um, you know, how you, you know, deliver impact on the ground and all the nuances around, you know, community and relationships and trust building and deliverance of goods and services. Um, and so that's one part of it, right? Is just kind of creating that bridge and those connections. Um, and then the other side is, is really kind of the business efficiency, right? So it's kind of being the, the, the chief financial officer, the chief operating officer, the chief strategy officer, right? Like all of that kind of work of helping businesses to figure out how to do the work, do it differently, do it more efficiently so that they really can deliver greater good. Now, I know you're based in Chicago right now. Do you often get to travel to where your clients are? Are you more homebound in the States now? How's that working out for you? Yeah. So I'm a single mother of a nine-year-old boy who is the love of my life and the joy of everything that I do. And so um, so I used to travel a lot, like 60% of the time. Um, but my choice is, is really to be here. So I do travel occasionally. Um, but this is really where I'm based because I, I want to be here and I want to go to his games and his events. Um, but we, our family is also Colombian. And so we travel to Colombia quite a lot for that work. Um, but there's the, there's the part of me and you having lived and traveled abroad a lot, right? You'll, you understand the kind of that gap, that yearning and burning feeling of wanting to travel, but it's a balance that that we definitely find. Yeah. And I, I think also there's a season for everything too, right? It's like really enjoying the season of motherhood um, is super key. And especially like as a single mom, that is not easy. We had a great guest a couple of weeks and we talked a lot about how we all need to support single moms more. Like it is not easy. It's not even easy if you have a partner. I give you all the props for running your own business and, and making it happen. So, but you know what? A lot of it, no, there's no perfect, right? There's no perfect. And so there's always some kind of trade-off that you do, no matter what the choice is. And so this is this is what I'm choosing to do right now because it gives me that availability to work with a whole bunch of different clients that are all working in different spaces to generate impact. And, and my focus, right, is not unnecessarily making the problem go away because having worked in development and, you know, globally my whole life, right, trying to make the problem go away will rarely happen, right? And so to me, it's more about like incremental change, right? How do you, 
How do you reduce the suffering even just a little bit, right? How do you, you know, make the lives just a little, even a little bit better? Um, and so that's really what my focus is on, right? Is, you know, working with this variety of different clients so that I can help every one of them just bring incremental change. Um, and I, I think it's fascinating, right? And then it also allows me to learn from each one of them and figure out how I can deliver even more good to other clients. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a super smart way to go about it. I mean, you can't tear down the whole system. It's it's too much. It's not going to happen. But yeah, if you can just make small little pivots that, like you said, make people's lives a little better, that's awesome. And that's making really meaningful change over years and years. What is it like being a woman in this field? And I know obviously it's like a relatively new field. Has that have you had any challenges or is it it's pretty good because it's new? I'm just curious about that, you know, from a feminist perspective. It's a it's a great question. So in traditional insurance, right, when you think of your usual insurance of home and auto, right, all of the um all of those, you know, that's definitely, you know, very much of the stereotype, right, that comes to all of our minds. Um, I find what's really interesting in in this space is, you know, there's definitely some of that kind of male dominate, I don't want to say dominated, male influenced, because, right, that's where a lot of the t- the typical insurance expertise comes in. But it really is that intersection with so much of what I experienced in development, which really was much more female dominated. Um, and so that to me is the other thing that I really love about this space is it really is not you know, biased one way or the other. And it is very international. It's very global. And so, you know, with any of the, either the clients that I have or had or people that I have conversations with, it really is that mix. And, and that's what, that's what I love, right? Because I'm, my, my, my career in life has been global. And that's what I love, right? Is, is, being able to talk with people from so many different backgrounds. And it's not just one, you know, profile that's dominating the space. Um, I think that's what's really important and, and missing in so many companies today is that it really is kind of one dominant profile. And it makes it very difficult to be agile and flexible and change and adapt Um and so I think that's what makes this space really interesting is by bringing in so many different perspectives and backgrounds, you're able to be very agile to, to what the needs are that are arising. Glad it's such a positive experience. And it's, yeah, you, like you said, there's no one profile. There's room for everybody to exist with their perspective. So that's, that's great to hear. And having worked, you know, in formal insurance and, and being a very being a very strong woman myself, right? I don't think you could be a single mother and working on a global scale and launching your own business and be a very quiet or passive person. Or if it does exist, right. I would love to talk to you because I could probably learn a lot from someone who's like that. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't think necessarily every space is for every person, but but I think this is a great space for people who are trying to figure out kind of how to strike that balance between doing good, but also working in for-profit solutions and working in business models and not, you know, NGOs. And so I think that there's a, it's a really great opportunity for people who are looking for something different, but where they can do good. Well, I think I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there one region of the world where you really see 
climate change and natural disasters ramping up more than others, or it's pretty much, it's kind of all over. Um, I feel like the answer is probably it's all over, but yeah, I was just curious from your perspective. Unfortunately, I don't think anyone is uh, safe from climate change. <laughs> What's interesting though, is what types of disasters are becoming more frequent and what areas. Um, and I think that's a lot of what it is, you know, the, the hurricane cycle, for example, in, uh, you know, in the North Atlantic and the Caribbean, right, is becoming more frequent, more severe. The storms are, ha- you know, reaching areas that they didn't use to before. Uh, like we've had hurricanes up in the in, in New England, right? So in, Mass- you know, in, in the U.S., right, we've had hurricanes that are hitting Massachusetts and Vermont, right? Like we never used to have hurricanes up there. Um, and so, and then the areas that are, you know, traditionally prone to them, the Caribbean, Central America, right? They're just getting pummeled just with no respite between the storms. So one comes causes, you know, billions of dollars of destruction and they have no time to recoup between the, you know, and then another storm comes through again. And so, and then, you know, you know, Africa, right? I mean, the drought system, you know, the drought in Africa, right? Is, and so I think what's really happening is, you know, areas that were experiencing some types of natural disasters, maybe on a more infrequent or less severe basis, are just experiencing those, but amplified. Uh, and so that's to me, I think what also is, is so important about the data and the analysis of what we look at in terms of where we go and what kind of products and solutions is to figure out like, where is that tendency and where is that trend and kind of extrapolating that to figure out, well, where is it going to go next? And, and trying to get in, because insurance really, while you buy the policy and your product before it happens, it is very reactive, right? You wait for the event to happen and then you get it. And so, um, and so I think what's really interesting here is trying to figure out like, where is it going to go next so that we can step in before it happens and protect people before it happens. And, and then, you know, it's not talked about or done a lot, but what's really interesting and fascinating to me is, is the prevention side, right? So if you can figure out where it's going to happen, what else can you do before those storms come about to try to protect the populations, you know, before they even have the losses and the, 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 you know, the, the property and life. Exactly. Before we go, I just wanted to pick your brain about advice you would give to someone else who might want to follow in your footsteps, you know, dealing with helping with social impact and making people's lives better. You obviously took a very interesting route with your life, uh, but knowing what you do now yeah. is, I, I don't know what you, if there's a path you'd recommend or experience they should get. Um, what do you think? Yeah. So there, there are a lot of pieces of that. I think one is, is really understanding uh, what your motivation is to do it. And I was talking to someone about this the other day and just, if the motivation is really to go and to change, right. To be kind of this, you know, white person with this great privileged background. And now I'm going to go and I'm going to help the poor African starving children. That's a really bad motivation. Um, and so I think it's a lot of kind of self-reflection of, you know, why do I want to do this? Um, and it goes to that, to me, that incremental change. But I think a critical piece of it really is also the anthropological side, right? It's like, let me, I really want to understand, right? I want to be inquisitive. 
um, before I try to bring my solutions in. Um, and so, you know, words of advice, that would definitely be one of it, right? It's just kind of checking on, you know, what, what is it that you want to do, you know, before you jump and do it. But then I think if you have the passion and you have the desire and the knowledge and the willpower, you know, find organizations to volunteer with, whether, you know, it's paid or unpaid, find organizations to work with um, and pursue it. Like the, the world needs needs a lot of help and they need creative problem solvers from lots of different backgrounds to figure out how to do it differently and, you know, talk to people, reach out, engage, listen. But to me, it's, I use kind of this three-pronged premise of listen, learn, and leverage. Like just listen a lot, talk to people, learn as much as you can, and then leverage all that to bring it together. So um, I, I love connecting with people. So if you're interested, feel free to reach out. But um, but I definitely think that there's so much opportunity that can be done in this space. Well, that's great to hear. I love that listen, learn, leverage analogy. That's a, It's easy to remember and, and powerful at the same time, right? Well, Satandra, thank you for being on the show. I'll have your information linked in the show notes if anybody wants to get in touch with you or follow you and, and see the work that you're doing. As always, if you like what you're hearing on You Betcha She Did, don't forget to share this episode with a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, a cousin, a sister. You never know who might want this information. So don't gatehold it. Pass it on. I'll thank you for doing it. Until next time, take care. Attention, you betcha she did listeners. If you're like me, you love listening to podcasts, and perhaps you have even thought of starting your own podcast. If that is the case, I would love for you to download my free top 10 podcasting equipment essentials. Here you will find my recommendations for 10 pieces of podcasting equipment that will help you get a podcast up and running smoothly without break in the bank. That's right. Podcasting does not have to be a super expensive endeavor. It's actually quite affordable and is a great way to elevate your voice, grow your brand, and get your name out there, especially as an expert. Check the show notes for your free podcast top 10 essential equipment guide. You can also go to podcaststartupguide.com. 